Forward and Chapter One of the Social Settlement Movement in Chicago. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Social Settlement Movement in Chicago by Josephine Hunt Raymond. Forward and Chapter One The Reason for the Social Settlement. This is a thesis submitted to the University of Wisconsin in 1897 for the degree of Master of Letters. The world which took but six days to make is like to take six thousand to make out. Sir Thomas Brown A few of the simpler human instincts are really necessary in any attempt to help human beings. Elizabeth Hastings The moral and religious reformers should never forget that in order of time material reform comes first, and that unless proper precedents be yielded to it, the higher ends of humanity are unattainable. From Problems of Poverty No social reform will be adequate which does not touch social relations, bind classes by friendship, and pass into, through the medium of friendship, the spirit which inspires righteousness and devotion. S. A. Barnett Forward the object of the following essay is not to display long columns of figures in proof that a certain required amount of original investigation has been done. It is rather to picture the settlement movement in Chicago as a whole, to describe the motives actuating the founders of the several settlements, and to bring out, as far as possible, the individuality in the work of each of the eleven settlements, which are exerting so powerful an influence on the social life of Chicago. The essay is of necessity incomplete, as the movement is as yet only current news. But the writer has endeavored to describe as accurately as possible the various points of view of the Chicago settlements. The chapter on Hull House is designed to illustrate the wide scope with which the various activities of a settlement may have if successfully carried out. The succeeding chapters aim to present the peculiar circumstances attending the establishment of the various settlements and the special features of the work of each settlement. The appendix furnishes the important statistics connected with each settlement, so far as they could be gathered from personal observation and conversations with the residents. In the bibliography, the writer has given a list of the books and articles consulted, and whenever possible, authorities have been cited in footnotes throughout the body of the essay. For most of the statements made, however, the writer's authority is her own observation and the observation of residents of the various settlements. To mention the names of all who have been helpful in giving personal information would be to name almost all the residents of the Chicago settlements. Miss Jane Adams of Hull House, Mrs. Mary E. Sly and Miss Jessie Bartlett of Northwestern University Settlement, Miss Mary E. McDowell of the University of Chicago Settlement, Mr. Jacob Ott of the Maxwell Street Settlement, Miss Cordelia Kirkland of the Kirkland Settlement, and the Reverend N. B. W. Galway of the Clyburn Avenue Settlement. These are a few of the settlement workers who have been consulted, and who are the writer's real authorities. To these friends she is indebted for most of her facts. Chapter 1. The Reason for the Social Settlement Emerson says all great ages have been ages of relief. In all time there has been a saving remnant of society, composed of men and women who asserted that man is his brother's keeper. 
who endeavored to relieve the unfortunate and reclaim the vicious. During the last century, a great wave of humanitarianism has swept over the world. Interest in man as man is supplanting the interest in mankind. We are beginning to realize that society is an organism made up of many parts, all interdependent. We are slowly coming to see that we cannot have a perfect or even a comfortable society until the terrible mental, moral, and physical inequalities now existing are remedied. To our sorrow we are learning the relentless truth that sin and misery in the lower ranks of society infect the upper ranks, that ignorance in the lower ranks reacts upon the higher, that idleness and extravagance in the higher produce a terrible harvest of deprivation and agony in the submerged tenth we are coming to see these things with clearer eyes. Our ideals of life are growing more elevated. A useless life is no longer considered meritorious, though it may be that of a patrician idler. Wealth may and does cover a multitude of sins when devoted to great philanthropic purposes, but it cannot excuse those sins in the eyes of the conscientious. We are craving and receiving moral enlightenment. We want higher education, purer morals, cleaner politics. We are trying many remedies for social ills. We have municipal leagues, civic federations, charity organizations, free fellowships and scholarships for our universities. All these are means to the great end of uplifting men's ideals in every department of life and of work. I believe we are on the right track. The methods we are employing are educational ones. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, that in order to reform a man we must begin with his ancestors. In order to ensure a safe and enlightened life for our children and their descendants, we must instill into their minds the principles of good citizenship, of true morality, of splendid humanity. They must be made to feel responsibility for their kind resting upon them. True democracy in its best sense must be taught them, in our universities the same democracy must be insisted upon. Civic responsibility, too, must be inculcated. In a generation, were this course faithfully followed, we should have a purer world in a regenerated society. Some may well object this is well enough for the well-to-do, for those for whom life is not a struggle. What of those who did not even know the meaning of education, of moral responsibility, of mental independence? To this there is but one answer. Man is his brother's keeper. The enlightened must help the blind. The morally well must help the morally sick. This is being done in the best and most complete way in that agency which, after careful analysis, I place first in the list of remedies for the sorrow and sin of the world, the social settlement. The social settlement appeals to every earnest worker in society because it touches every side of man's nature. The very aim of the social settlement is to develop many-sidedness, both in the worker and those whom the settlement is trying to reach. The moral life of the community is purified and strengthened by contact with those living with high aims ever before them. The mental life is recreated by wholesome instruction. The social nature is freshened by diversified recreation, by enlivening society, by contact with other natures. A better physical life is encouraged by constant suggestions of wholesome exercise, of cleanliness, of decent living. The better life is the motto of every branch of settlement work. 
The need for the social settlement today, however, is not only objective, but subjective. Tennyson says that it is more life and fuller that we want. Life grows fuller and richer and sweeter for every effort for others. It was by sharing his last trust with the leper that Sir Lownfall had the revelation of the Christ. It is a dangerous thing to cramp a young soul. The greatest wrong which can be done to the faculties is to deny them their proper exercise. There are many gifted young men and women who have inherent powers of execution which, exercised, would revolutionize this world of ours. The life repressed within itself and prevented from guiding and moving and strengthening other lives is as sad a sight as that life which knows nothing of the wide free life somewhere waiting for it. Young life, young purpose, ought to have full play. If it is not sent wisely into the channels of philanthropic effort, it will either stagnate or rush in harmful currents through society. One of the greatest truths impressed upon me during my observation of the work of the social settlement is that the life and experience of the resident worker among the poor grows grand and sweet and beautiful in proportion as he gives himself to those who need him. I've been impressed with a splendid self-control, the beneficent sacrifice, the fullness of sympathy displayed by settlement workers who in giving themselves to those lacking in moral and intellectual poise grow to majestic stature in those very qualities whose lack their own giving supplied. The objective need for the social settlement is only too well known. General Booth, W. T. Stead, Dr. L. A. Banks, Miss Jane Adams, B. O. Flower, and many others have portrayed only too well the needs of the crowded city. They are hotbeds of vice and disease where direct protest and interposition are an absolute necessity. There are communities of working people whose lives are a dull monotony, and who need recreative interest infused into life. Whole wards are peopled by foreigners who know nothing of our country save as a place in which to live and make a living. They are totally ignorant of the meaning of our government or of our ideals as a nation. These must be reached and taught if we would not give our great cities over to the machinations of the politician, whose tools are the ignorant foreign population. There are the evils of sweatshops and crowded factories to guard against, prostitution to cope with, the fascinating saloon to outwit. All sides of life must be responded to. The social settlement is trying to do all these things, and by so responding it aims to renovate the atmosphere of the community in which it is carrying on its work. In succeeding chapters I shall endeavor to show in detail the development of the idea of the social settlement in the city of Chicago. An effort has been made to discover what are the peculiar needs of certain communities, and various means have been employed to supply these needs. The history of the growth of the social settlement in Chicago is the record of the gradual quickening of social consciousness and the congruent work of social reorganization with its corollary of amelioration of social conditions. I do not intend to convey the impression that I believe a social millennium is at hand, but with a profound conviction that social salvation can come only from association and cooperation of the morally strong with the morally weak, of the enlightened with the ignorant, I see unmistakable signs of help at hand. The soul is stirred at the sight of a few strong, dauntless men and women educating and uplifting the ignorant, and meeting invincibly the corrupt ward politician and the spoilsman, 
but while it may seem like but a bit of leaven in a great mass of corruption, still a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. End of Forward and Chapter 1